to ESPN's The Bar Post podcast. Cup of Nations champions, you'll never sing that. Um, I stole that bit from Anna's colleague, George, in the press box. So shout out to a friend of the pod, George, now, because I've stolen his chant and opened a pod with it. But it's true. The Matildas are once again Cup of Nations champions and literally no other country can say that. So they iced the cake with a 3-0 win over Jamaica. Katrina Gorey scoring a long-range bagger. I don't care how many times I see it. I love to see it every single time. Alex Chidiak came on in the second half, smashed one home, really was just a, a perfect game changer for the Tillies. And Caitlin Ford unleashed a very nice strike of her own to make it three. We win the Cup of Nations again. We have three wins. We scored 10 goals, only conceded two. We're on a seven-game winning streak now. Everything feels nice. It's the inverse of that dog in the fire room meme where instead everything is nice, everything is calm. But that being said, even though there were three really good results, there's still plenty of things to talk about. So we're going to crack into them. Um, After we acknowledge the traditional owners of the lands that we're recording on today, the Wurundjeri and Gadigal people, and we want to pay our respects to their elders past and present, for today's episode, you've got me, Marissa Lordanic, Sam Lewis, and Angela Christian Wilkes. So the place we need to start this pod um, is about is expectation management because we are, like I just said, now on a seven-game winning streak. We've just won the Cup of Nations. Um, we need to just kind of re reassess, reevaluate. Oh my goodness reevaluate where we're at and what's happening. And we got a really good question from Lewis on Twitter and he was basically saying, are we overhyping things at the moment? We've met expectations, which is a good thing. Wins are wins, which are a good thing, but we only beat two low-ranked opponents and a second-string Spain side. So are we getting ahead of ourselves after winning the Cup of Nations is the opening question. I mean, I don't, I don't think we're getting ahead of ourselves, but I think it's important to keep what we just saw from the Matildas in context, right? So ensuring that when we assess them and their performances, that we do take into account the, uh, the quality of the opponents, um, that we do also take into account how far the Matildas have come as well. You know, like even though these were not perfect performances, even though they were not back-to-back holistic 90-minute performances what we did see were probably the most extensive examples of the way the various ways in which the Matildas have progressed under Tony Gustafson like we spoke for example at the end of last year where we were like we haven't really seen like a full game of this from the Matildas we saw like a really good half against Canada we saw a really good half against Brazil we you know we saw sort of halves of football and I think this Cup of Nations was maybe the opportunity to try and put all that together into a full 90 minutes, but we didn't see that. And I think that's important because it means that they've still got a ways to go. They've still got things to improve upon. Um, but that was the whole point of this tournament as well. Like, had they come in and absolutely demolished everybody and everything was perfect, like what would they have to move forward towards, you know, like what would they have to, to, to improve on? What would they have to question? What, how would they continue to use the next two international windows to continue asking themselves questions and trying to find answers for them? 
So I think like relative to where they started, which when you think back to like real early days, um, it's chalk and cheese, but it's still probably a little bit of ways away from this sort of utopian ideal maybe of what we want the Matildas to be doing. But again, we've got five months and that's a long time. And it's a long time for a number of players who have been part of this Cup of Nations, who have made a statement about this Cup of Nations to sort of um, figure out how they're going to establish themselves in that final 23. And I think this was the tournament where a couple of players really did put their hand up for that um, and a couple of players perhaps did not. So we'll, yeah, we'll talk about that a bit later. But in terms of expectation management, like this is seven games that we've won in a row. The last time that we did that was 2017. And we remember what happened in 2017, right? Like that was the big year for the Matildas. That was the year that Australia were like, hang on, are the Matildas good? Are we good? This starts, it's just, it feels like the same vibe now. Like are the Matildas actually starting to get quite good? Like we're not really the underdog anymore. Like this is sort of where we're expected to be now in the world. Um, and I'd be like, yeah, that's that's the parallel that I would draw. Like, yeah, we're, we're starting to get good now and let's embrace that. But let's also, in Tony Gustafson's words, stay a little bit humble. I mean, I've heard apparently you shouldn't attach your like mood and, and mental health to the national team. This is something that my therapist <laughs> mentioned. Um, <laughs> So we're working on that because I do understand like we have, we win something and then um, I think Lewis made the comparison to like the Olympics. Like that was such a euphoric moment that was made so much more intense by the fact that a lot of us were just trapped in our homes and it was the only thing we had to cling to. But like, I think for me at the moment, I think you said it really well, Sam, like consistent, like whole game performances is what is going on at the moment. And also, we're not shitting the bed. Um, it's been a little yes. while since there's been a bed shitting. And I think that's really, really important because I think that was the thing that has made a lot of Matilda's fans kind of feel uneasy for a little bit is that kind of capacity for things to slip very quickly. Um, and I think also the fact that we're able to kind of come back when we're on the back foot in games at the moment in these risks, like the the, ga- the win against Sweden, that was the game where it was like, to me, oh, okay, this could be something. Mm. But now that it's been backed up with six wins since, and again, not not always the most comprehensive, not always, you know, thumpings, but still wins, and still, I think, games that have proved this is a group that can kind of manage their way out of those situations and they've got a coach that can kind of it hasn't always been we've talked about some of those moments on on the pod choices that Tony has made that perhaps weren't the right choices but him taking ownership of that as well and again this is when we need to do this experimentation so I don't like we're good we're not like you know incredible I would say but we're good and there's kind of something nice in that security at the moment of I don't know the consistency yeah I think that's been the main thing that um and the the best thing to come out of these kind of wins yeah I think that's a good point Angela I think about being able to solve problems when they're in a bit of a tight spot like we think back to Matilda's 
past. We think back, like to the Matildas of the Asian Cup, that's probably the best example of that game against South Korea where they came up against the same problem over and over and over again and they just kept trying the same thing. They, they didn't have very much in-game management and I think that was the most stark um, difference with this Matildas team that we saw across the Cup of Nations. They were confronted with a particular kind of problem which, you know, a year or two ago they probably wouldn't have been able to solve themselves but they came out in the second half against Czechia and in the second half against Jamaica and they solved them. And the way that they solved them wasn't just bombing long to Sam Kerr and hoping that she scores goals. It was maintaining their own style of football. It was ensuring that they maximised the players that they had on the field. And it was scoring a bunch of goals in lots of different kinds of ways, which has always been something that they've struggled with with Kerr at the helm. So, yeah, like it was, I think, in, in that sense, that's where we've progressed the most. Like when we look at sort of the overall like macro big picture element of it. it. It may not seem like the Matildas have progressed very far, but when you sort of take a bit more of a microscope look at things and you look at particular moments in which certain decisions are made um, and, and you break it down into sort of halves and even quarters of football and you look at the way that they have tried to um, to answer certain questions that they may not have been able to do previously, that's where I think the the biggest improvement has come. I've written about it a lot for ESPN. I kind of have seen the Matildas in the Tony era. I always imagine just like a giant lever. I'm thinking a lot of the kind of um, bushfire warning thingamabob, if you guys can picture that, where it's like we kind of play well, but we've lost 4-0. And then at the other extreme, it's like... Uh, we've won with the four arsiest goals you've ever seen. So the performance wasn't there. (laughs) And I feel like at the moment, the really pleasing thing about this run of seven games is that if, you know, the balance between results and performance is a very fine line. We seem to be balancing on it well, where there's, Mm. you know, acknowledgement that the performances aren't full 90 minutes but there's also no panic because we're still getting results. And, you know, we can never kind of undersell how soothing a win is, but there's obviously a difference between its soothing anxieties and it papering over cracks that will eventually be revealed. So at the moment I feel like we're just really walking that tightrope and it's nice. No, it's hopeful. It's optimistic. There is obvious kind of light at the end of the tunnel, maybe even emergence from the tunnel kind of areas to throw just an absolute bucket load of uh, metaphors into one (laughs) answer. Um, And I I think the other thing is just like, particularly after, and this is my thoughts um, that maybe you guys share or you listeners share, post-Canada, it was like, holy shit, are we even going to get out of the group? Like, are we going to struggle to get Mm. out of the group at the World Cup? Where now, I don't think like that anymore. I'm like, we can make it out of the group. We could win a round of 16 game. Like, all of a sudden, the, the expectations have lifted, but I wouldn't say beyond where they should be, if that makes sense. No one's saying they're going to win the Mm. World Cup especially not based off the seven wins we've seen. But all of a sudden now, it doesn't seem far-fetched or hyperbolic to say that, like, a round of 16 win would be a pass mark. And I think that would be a good start. Like, making it to a quarterfinal is not just a good result. It's an achievable result at the moment. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, Yeah, totally. 
but you guys summed up the expectation management chat very well. And I think one more thing that's worth noting is that I remember quite a big conversation happening just over a year ago, maybe a year to sort of 15, 16 months ago, where one of the big questions that people were asking, particularly in the media, was what is the football that Tony is trying to get them to play? What are we looking for? What does What are they meant to be doing? And there was this, like a lot of people were sort of looking at all these bits and pieces that were sort of just shattered over the over the field. And they were like, what is he doing? Like, how, what is this? What is the picture that is emerging that he keeps talking about? And I think this Cup of Nations was the best um, example of that picture. I think we saw over all three of those games exactly the kind of football that he has been trying to get them to play since he took over. It's it's the, like, I think the three principles that he um sort of highlighted particularly after the Spain game or before this one of this I don't know at some at some point um one was the high pressing game one was speed um and one was a diversity of attacking options and we saw that we saw all three of those principles come to light against all three of these opponents and so I don't think now after after this tournament I don't think anyone can look at the Matildas and say we don't know what kind of football they're playing because they absolutely showed the kind of football that they want to be playing. And you can also see the direction in which they're going, which I think was another big anxiety that people had in the early days. We didn't really know where this was going. We didn't know, we didn't have any confidence that there was a direction, that there was a path to that to that sort of end of that tunnel, Marissa, to borrow your metaphor. Um, but now it really it really feels like there is. And that's what I think gives me the most comfort as well. I would 100% agree with that. But to go back to something that you touched on, Sam, which is about um, who really kind of made a statement in the cuppa and who did not make a statement in the cuppa, we will start with who absolutely just blew our collective socks off. And it was Alex Chidiak. Like, I know Mackenzie Arnold was the player <laughs> of the tournament and a deserved player of the tournament, but I feel like we really We'll talk about that later. Um she was, she was absolutely incredible, but I feel like Alex Chidiak has played the game-changer role to perfection throughout this entire tournament. And I likened yeah. it to her inclusion and Charlie Grant's at halftime against Jamaica. It just it was like they woke everyone up. It was like they poured a bucket of cold water on, you know, the rest of the players who had started and were like, it's go time. We're going and we're going now. And I absolutely <laughs> so... Um, yeah, I just, Chids was incredible, but the thing with her being so good coming off the bench is that obviously it creates conversations about whether or not she should be starting. Should she be starting? It's a good question. Um, I think there are a couple of things to factor into an answer to that. One is the opponent, um, and the way in which Tony wants to, uh, manage an opponent over the course of 90 minutes. I think after the Jamaica game, uh, there was conversation around exactly that, Marissa, around her game-changing role. And he sort of emphasised quite strongly the the idea that he's spoken about in the past where he doesn't have like a first 11 and a second 11. He doesn't have starting players and bench players. He's got a, like a starting 11 and a finishing 11. And in a game against a team like Jamaica, who in that first half defended very, very well, there is still a role for starting players in terms of wearing down 
a defensive team. We saw it against Czechia as well, that physicality, speed, constant runs, like all of that takes a physical toll on the opponent. And Alex Chidiak's qualities are such that when she's on the field, she has such speed with the ball at her feet and in terms of her decision-making that you would probably prefer her to be running at a tired defence and a, a defence that's a little bit slower to react, a defence that's a little bit stretched, a defence that has been suffocated by the uh, the Matilda's attack over the course of 45-plus minutes to then have a Chidiak come in and just crack a pass right through all of them. And we saw that happen against Czechia. We saw how she came on and just buzzed around that midfield and set up that goal that Sam Kerr ended up scoring. And she made a couple of really incredible passes. Like I think we mentioned it as well in the in the post-match pod, um, which were really counterintuitive and they just absolutely spun the Czechia defenders uh, in circles. So, and, and it was similar against Jamaica as well. Like she, she came on at that halftime break um, and the, her movement was such that like the Jamaica defenders hadn't, they, they weren't acclimatised to a player like that over the course of the first half. They, they'd gotten used to the pattern that the Matildas had been creating over that first 45. And so you bring on a Chidiak who completely shatters apart that pattern and those expectations as a defender. And she scored, you know, she scored an absolutely ripping goal because she does things differently. And that's, ideally the kind of quality that you would want in a game changer. I can absolutely see the the rationale behind her starting, but I think it does depend on the opponent very much so. Um, and it also depends on the players who she has to combine with, because if you want to start an Alex Chidiak, the next logical question is who do you leave out uh, in order to bring her in? Yep. I don't have too much to add to that. Um, yep. Yeah, is good. I the combination play from her was like, oh my god, stunning. But I think also we we haven't seen enough of her as someone who starts in a game as well to like have like no. I feel like that's the thing for me. It's just like, well, we don't know what it will look like if we have a chids on in the first half necessarily. We can imagine it and mm. we can kind of hypothesize, as you said, Sam, like someone like um, chids the way that she is utilized as a game changer. We can see what works really well there and. Like we saw that so, so clearly in this game against Jamaica. But um, yeah, I suppose it is just like the fact that we don't know is more the thing for me. It's like, you don't know to you tried it and we're meant to be experimenting. So I'm not sure. Yeah. It's uh, <laughs> Given that there's been um, a lot of flexibility and experimentation with other players in the squad, I do find it interesting that Chids hasn't necessarily been given that same I guess, um, flexibility to, you know, be played as a starter and to see how she'd see out a game that way or play at full 90 or, or anything like that. So, um, yeah, it is an odd one. But um, in terms of what she's bringing at the moment, again, it, her capacity as a game changer is just so good that it's hard to kind of argue that she, I don't know. It's like she could do both. She could do both. We just don't know. I think the thing is, like, um, I think of, like, your friend who has a kind of a job that they are okay with, but they're so good at it that their boss is basically like, well, if we didn't have you in this role, the whole company would fall apart. I know you want to be promoted. Um, I know you want to be fairly compensated for all the extra work you're doing, but you're so good at this role. We don't want to move you. And that's the vibe I get from Alex Chidiak, Game Changer. 
Um, I think it's obviously a very valid point that any lineup should take the opponent into consideration. So I'm not just saying start chids every time, everywhere with no consideration at all for the opponents. Um, but I think Angela made the really good point of, as well of like, we don't know what an Alex Chidiak in the starting 11 actually looks like or how it would play out. Um, and I thought Tony's comments in the post-game presser were like very, very telling. He's He literally said, Chids deserves to start based on performance. We all agree on that in here, but it doesn't mean that she should start. So he fully sees her as that break glass in case of emergency. Um, she's going to buzz and nag and just nip her way around a tired midfield and make things happen. And no one can question that because we literally have so many games of evidence now that prove that she can do that. And not only can she do it, she does it very, very well. Um, but she herself said post-game that, you know, I'm pushing for that starting spot. And again, like even if there's the fully explained rationale from Tony about the starting 11, the finishing 11, everyone playing their role regardless of when they come on come onto the pitch, when they come off the pitch, blah, 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 there is still that element of validation from being started. Um, and I think it also puts into the minds of fans that if she's not starting, then maybe Tony's not 100% sold on her. So we had a couple of questions like, is Chitz not going to get picked because she keeps coming off the bench? And I think that's accidentally created like a false sense of precariousness with Chitz because I think yeah. like... I think you can unequivocally say if we're, you know, if we're picking the World Cup squad tomorrow, Chids is going. There's no doubt. And I can't see a downturn in her form that would not see her make the World Cup squad. I'm knocking wood, you know, that no injuries. She heads over to Louisville and plays really well in the first bit of the NWSL. But, um, yeah, I really think that Chids absolutely has something to offer from the start I know then the question becomes well if she's not the game changer who is and that's where you hope someone like a Van Egmont can take control of a game as that luxury clutch player that we've spoken about you know at the back end of last season if Mary Fowler comes into form I feel like she could also do something similar but yeah it's just um I suppose it's frustrating like people want to see reward for effort and at the moment because she's not starting it feels like she's not getting reward for effort if that makes sense even if that's not entirely the case that's what it seems like yeah I I understand that perspective but at the same time I feel like that like we need to not not to be like borrow Tony's cliche but we need to see his picture we need to see the picture that he's painting and just because we think in our football brains sometimes that starting equals better or starting equals reward that doesn't mean it's what is right for the game and he even said that in the at the end of that quote marissa you know he said we all agree on that in here it doesn't mean she should start what's best for the game and that's the that's the point like we need to i think sort of be, be a little bit more nuanced when we think about the idea of player selections and, and who starts and who finishes, because ultimately it's about results. And if Chidiak's best role in this Matilda's team is coming off the bench 
um, to to be this kind of game changer. And as we've seen over the past three games, she does that probably better than any other Matildas player currently. Like that is reward. That's 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 her being used in a way that she absolutely flourishes in. And if for her, she gets you know thirty to. 40 minutes every game or even less time than that to come on and make an impact, like she will absolutely take on that challenge. She will embrace that with both hands or both feet and she will give 10 million percent of herself in whatever bracket of time she has available to her. So if that's the way that she's going to be used, I'm like, I'm totally content with that. And, you know, probably the best parallel that we can draw upon is how Serena Weigman used her lionesses during the Euros. Their game changers were, you know, Ella Toon. They were like a couple of players who knew that they were bench players and who came off and absolutely ripped apart teams in the space of 20 or 30 minutes. And it's like games were won or lost based on those game changers. So, you know, the, the idea that, a, again, that a, a player who starts is like, is, that's reward for performance. I don't necessarily think that's the frame that we should be assessing these kinds of decisions through, if that makes sense. I guess it that does. goes sorry. off the premise that a starting 11, sorry, just a quick point. Um, I guess that also flows on from the premise that a starting 11 is your best, best team, which again, yeah, exactly, kind of means that you sometimes neglect context because a, the best team for different opponents will differ. But yeah, Uh yeah, I agree. Reframing. And I think it is an interesting like um, connection that we do make between starting equals the best thing that a player could earn mm. for themselves. Um, I still I still think, you know, it would be good to see what she could do starting in a game, but what opponent that would be against, I'm not too sure. I think then my counterpoint to that would be like if – we like Tony's whole tenure has been about playing as many varied opponents as possible and Chids hasn't been a starter for any of those like I don't know to me that's confusing that apparently she's not starting 11 material for you know a low ranked side a high ranked side a middle ranked side a low block defense a team that's going to be um holding the ball a lot more than we are to me that doesn't maybe I'm just pro chids maybe I'm making a dick of myself um I just want to see her start because I really do think that um it's it's worth the experimentation if other things are worth the experimentation why isn't Alex Chidiak starting which I feel like is a perfect segue to Larissa Crummer chat um so lots of you asked about Larissa Crummer. She got the start against Jamaica after two appearances off the bench in the Czech Republic game and the Spain game. So I'm trying to find your questions here. Where did they go? Um, has Crummer had her final chance was a question from Stephen. David asked, what's the appeal of Crummer? Um, and I think we got one literally while we were were recording, I know how to speak English. Um, that again was what is the point of Crummer? Why does she get a start ahead of other players? So, how 
how have you seen Larissa Crummer's Cup of Nations? Are you convinced? Are you seeing what Tony's seeing? Because in the press conference, he was very much saying that it was a very deliberate choice to start her. He believed that she had the right kind of attributes that would then open up doors for cheats, like we were just talking about that starting 11 versus finishing 11. But are you seeing what Tony's seeing in terms of Larissa Crummer's contributions to this team? I'm not personally. Um, and we we discussed this when we did our preview of this Cup of Nations tournament, right? We talked about who are the who are the W League players, the W League players, oh, oh, RIP, um, who are the A-League women players who need to use this opportunity to make a statement. And Larissa Crummer was at the top of my list because she was not really performing for Brisbane Raw. And the roles that she had been playing in the Matildas up until this tournament were odd they didn't really fit the kind of Larissa Crummer mold that we feel like she would do. Like she usually plays as a center forward, uh, yet she's been sort of uh, more of a utility player in the Matildas over the last six months. She's been used at right back. She's been used at right wing. Um, and, and she just hasn't really dazzled in any of them. And so it's a little, it's a little bizarre to me that um, she continues to be called into uh, to fill holes that I feel like other players are more equipped to fill. Um, like I understand the need for utility players. And I think Ivy Lewick is a really good example of what happens when you do have a good utility player. You can play in two very important positions. But the thing with, with Lewick is that in the positions that she's able to fill are positions that we are not as deep in as what we are in terms of our attacking stocks. Like we don't need an extra right winger. We don't really need, like the only way that Larissa Crummer, I feel like fits into this team is as a second centre forward, but we've got an Emily Gilnick who provides height and physicality and speed. So like what, like she just doesn't, she seems to be, I think Marissa, you said it best that she's an answer in want of a question. Like she just doesn't seem to fit in any kind of way into this team. She doesn't play the style of football that, Gustafsson is wanting them to play. Um, she doesn't really have, like, I get that she's quick, but she needs sort of time to get quick as well. She needs a bit of a run-up. Um, so she, she doesn't have the speed off the mark of a more traditional winger like a Vine or a Rasso. Um, and if she's going to be played at right back, she also doesn't have the speed of a, of a Charlie Grant or an Ellie Carpenter. So I'm like, well, what, like, so, so what's going on? Like, from my understanding, she's been great in training, um she's she's you know she's busy she's physical she she does lots of hard work off the ball at training but you know it's this these kinds of conversations shouldn't just be about training they should be about performing on the field and she's had a couple of opportunities now including a a solid like what 35 minutes 40 minutes even coming off the bench over this cup of nations where she started against jamaica as well like what's and yet she didn't sort of use that. She didn't use that that opportunity to, to say yes. She didn't do an Alex Chidiak to say, yes, this is what I offer and this is why I need to be going to the World Cup. And the fact that we're even like having this conversation and asking this question, I think is evidence of that. Yeah, and it's it's kind of like uh, the minutes and, and, and where she's been played – so it is answering a question that no one's asking, but it's also generating all these other questions. And I, um, 
at this point feel kind of un- like awkward about it because it f- I don't know I just feel like it feels uncomfortable yeah. to keep coming back to it and to be like why is she here because that seems like such a cruel thing to have to have a conversation about um and for me as well like in terms of the players that we had in the squad for the Cup of Nations I feel like there were questions that weren't necessarily answered um that play like for example Emily Gilnick we didn't see any minutes from her I don't think I'm not sure if that was a injury thing but um going off the last time that we did see her play I think it was the Cameroonians. someone corrected me if I'm wrong anyway it's been a long time since I've seen Gilnick play and I feel like the last time I did see her um that left me kind of being like okay so can she improve on what we're seeing here because it wasn't necessarily um she wasn't in form like um she was a couple of years ago um when she really got the the shredham uh reputation so that was like I feel like yeah in in using Larissa Crummer other questions have been left unanswered as well um so yeah it's I it's just and it's a little bit confusing and I don't know if it just needs to be asked like if there's a direct answer there or just like because I don't know what we're missing I don't think anyone really knows the piece of the Tony's picture that we're missing at the moment um that can explain it um and yeah now I feel icky (laughs) I'm not cut out for this for this stuff the hard questions but like I think it's also a really important point to make that like I know we have spoken about Larissa Crummer repeatedly on the pod I've written about her because it does seem to it it's obvious it's apparent that there is a question mark about her inclusion but I think the thing we need to stress is no one wants her to fail no one's enjoying watching her kind of yeah, no, yeah, of course. Be seemingly like a step behind everyone else or like the the person that you look at and go, it doesn't seem to fit in this scenario. I would love nothing more than for her to go play the last six week of the A-League women's season for Brisbane Raw and just bang in hat-tricks for fun because it would be like, okay, yeah. so something's been building and Tony's smarter than all of us and he's seen it and we haven't. I was right, you know, he can pull a harrow, put the letters on his back, take the photo, and it will be great. Um, But right now, and that's the thing, it's not just like where we got asked the question repeatedly. Um, Lots of people want to know what's happening, and I think the fact that there isn't an obvious answer is telling in a way, but... No, I definitely want her to succeed because it's not a fun thing to talk about and it's not a pleasant thing to talk about. Um, But, yeah, shall we move on to some other topics of conversation, some other questions that we received from the good people of Twitter? Um, A a topic that emerged that I found really interesting was that there's basically now a perceived battle between Charlie Grant and Ellie Carpenter um, and people... Uh, had lots of opinions and lots of questions. So Greg was asking about how too many people badmouth Charlie because she's not Ellie. What more does she have to do to get the recognition she deserves? Philip kind of countered then and said people who say Charlie will challenge Ellie need to have a good, long, hard look at Ellie. Charlie's great, but Ellie, if she's fit, is 
the only answer um, at right back. And Liv basically said, who starts? Charlie or Ellie, once Ellie is fully fit and back in the Matildas lineup, or is there a way that we can include both? Can we have a porque no los dos kind of moment? So what are your takes on this? It's not a real battle, but the the situation where we've now got like Charlie and Ellie seemingly ready, willing and able to play right back for the Matildas. I mean, it's like, isn't this just a delightful position to be in? No. (laughs) The fact that we can have this discussion and the people have different takes on it. Um, Yeah. And I I think it just goes back to what we were talking about earlier about the right uh, team for the right, like the right starting lineup for the right teams in tournament football. You need to manage minutes. You need to manage load. Um, And someone like, like, I think Ellie is, um kind of the first on that list but that doesn't mean that charlie is like a a poor choice in second or anything like that i think um the fact that we have her she will be able to do a fantastic job and be able to kind of slot into managing that kind of minutes side of things in my eyes i feel like you could we can get the best out of both and um, Charlie Grant is the silver lining to Ellie Carpenter having, like, doing her ACL. Like, what would we have had this? Would we be having yeah. this discussion at all if if Ellie Carpenter hadn't done her ACL? So, I don't know. I think Porkeno lost us for me. Yeah, I mean Charlie Grant. Charlie Grant's trajectory in the last year has been extraordinary. She has been the Matilda outside of maybe Katrina Gorey, who has improved the most under Tony over the past year to me. She has been so good to the point where, Marissa, you can testify to this, in the first game against Czechia, the Cup of Nations, there was a moment right at the start of the game where Charlie Grant made a run and I legitimately thought it was Ellie Carpenter because she had the blonde, like, blazing ponytail behind her. She had the bright boots. She had the physicality. She just had this that same athletic, like, um, like momentum about her. And I was like, who is this person? Like, where did she come? Like, it was, it was amazing. And she, like, you're totally right, Angela. Like, it's, she's nowhere, I don't think, using the, the, the sort of the same um, frame of reference as how we were talking about earlier with the sort of, like, first 11 second 11 like charlie grant is not part of the second 11 she's not part of the b team she's not part of the like the bench team you know she is she has become ellie carpenter in this team and we saw what happened when she was not on the field and then when she was against jamaica when she came back on she absolutely changed the whole dynamic of the team on the field because of her presence and I think when we think about the two of them side by side, number one, we also really need to keep in mind that like match fitness is a very different kind of thing. And Ellie Carpenter coming back from a year off where she hasn't played international football, she's only got two more windows left in order to get back to international match fitness, which is a very different thing to club fitness. That's one thing. But at the same time, when you think about those two players side by side, I think they they offer different elements in the same role in that one of Ellie Carpenter's greatest um, attributes 
is her ability to bomb forward. It's her ability to attack and become a second winger. But Charlie Grant hasn't necessarily done that to the same degree. What she has done, I think, is been more defensive. She's been better and more well-rounded in a defensive role. Um, and even though she has been able to, every now and then she does bomb forward. She does put those crosses into the box. Her delivery has improved, but she yeah, she's a little bit more reserved when, when she does that. And I kind of prefer that in some games as well, because one of the big fault lines, of course, of Ellie Carpenter is that she attacks too much sometimes and she leaves huge spaces in behind her that even with her engine, she's not able to cover for. So having those two kinds of players who are able to sort of like, like the Venn diagram of them overlaps very, very closely, but they still have two so like different kinds of elements to their play, which again, you can bring into against different opponents or in, uh, in different stages of a particular game against a particular opponent, depending on the shape of the game and the texture of the game, right? Like you can bring on an Ellie Carpenter to try and capitalize on some and what we're starting to see is the Matildas like heavy metal first half energy where they want to score a bunch of goals like they did against Spain. And then if you want to load manage someone like Ellie Carpenter, who tends to play so many minutes all the time, I think she was the Matilda who played the most minutes at the Olympics. Maybe I can't remember, but if you want to load manage her and we've got, you know, we're three nil up against Canada, swap her out and bring on a Charlie Grant, bring on a Charlie Grant at halftime to shore up her defense and be a little bit more um, resolute in that back line. Like that's that's the that's the conversation we can have now because prior to the rise of Charlie Grant, it was just oh my god, what do we do if Ellie Carpenter goes down? Who else do we bring on? You know, like that that was a huge hole. It was a huge question that people were asking, and yeah, like thank God we've been able to find the answer before the World Cup. Correct me if I'm wrong. Was this at the Olympics? Ellie made a last ditch tackle. And she got a card and then she couldn't play the game after that? Yes. We'd repressed it, but yes, that is something that happened. <laughs> Another situation yep. where yep. it is nice to have this Exactly. Options. Yeah. <laughs> Gives Ellie Carpenter, a, a, I don't know, capacity, I guess, to, to make. I mean, that was I, in capacity my, to shit I house. That, is that what you're going to say? Yeah, but also like that, I from memory that tackle was absolutely necessary, but it was like it was like a sacrificial moment in some ways. Yeah. So um I don't think necessarily representative of how Ellie Carpenter is as a player. Um it was the right decision in the moment. But it's good to know if she does if she does get a, a card, you know, we're talking about load management, but also fire fiery tackle management anyway sorry <laughs> I think the fun thing as well is and I say this with a caveat because I have been a long firm believer in the no Catley at centre-back brigade I still believe that but it comes with the caveat that in a pinch in the middle of the World Cup if no one else is available hell yeah I'm putting Steph Catley at centre-back to a lesser degree, I feel that about Ellie Carpenter. And then again, the question was, well, then who's playing right back? Now we have Charlie Grant. So all of a sudden, even though everyone has their very obvious best position in the back line, we have depth. We have the ability to move pieces 
in case of emergency. They should be kept in case of emergency. I, I cannot stress that enough. Um, but we have that option now. We have that path we can take if necessary. Um, and this leads on to some questions about everyone's new favourite centre-back, Claire Hunt, who, like, everyone was like, okay, Claire Hunt's been selected for the Matildas. Cool. Interesting. Can't wait to see how that one goes. And now it's like, Claire Hunt, Cup of Nations champion. The photo of her yeah. with the cup and the cap. I I cannot so wait good. until she hits Iconic. like her 50-game milestone or her 100-game milestone, God willing, and that's just plastered everywhere because it brings me so much joy. But people ask. So friend of the pod, Stephen, they asked, did Claire Hunt do enough to A, earn a call-up for April and B, make the final 23? And David asked, has Claire Hunt replaced Alana Kennedy as a starter? So you can take your pick as to which question you would like to ask, or you can just gush about Claire Hunt as I have done in the lead up to this. Let's gush. Let's absolutely gush. And also like, I think it's, so let's go back to our preview pod, right? Where we were like, Claire Hunt got a call up. Isn't that good for her? She's probably not going to get any minutes. She's just there for the experience. Fuck us, I guess, because she was absolutely amazing. Oh my God. Came on at halftime against Czechia, absolutely shored up that defence alongside Claire Polkenhorn, started against Spain, started against Jamaica. Tony Gustafson said that he hadn't seen a debutante like her in his entire tenure so far. Like, what a comment to make. And considering where Claire Hunt has come from as well and how many challenges she's had to overcome personally in order to get to this point, not least of which is playing for the Wanderers. <coughs> um, I was going to oh make that God. joke, but you went there first. <laughs> but injury after injury after injury, she just was not able to get a consistent run of form at club level. So to be able to get here and to perform the way that she did, to have gotten up to speed as quickly as she did, to have had the basics down as consistently as she did, is so thrilling to realise because centre-back, as we know, as long-time listeners of this pod will know, has always been a well of very deep anxiety for us. And with the combinations being sort of tossed and turned between Polkinghorn, Lewick, Kennedy, Steph Catley having to come into centre-back sometimes, there was never an idea or never a feeling that we had found, we'd found the answer. I feel we were always still asking the center back question and particularly with Kennedy having this weird run of injuries where she hasn't played for the Matildas for a couple of windows. Now the question was always, well, what are we going to do? Like, are we going to be taking Ivy Lewick, the oldest ever Matilda to the world cup because we literally don't have any other options. Claire Hunt, I think has answered that question. I don't know right now. Like it's obviously very, very early. It's too early to say that she will be, in the final 23, but I think her performances over this Cup of Nations have absolutely warranted a call-up for the window in April against England. That'll be the really big test because England are a team who are favoured to win this tournament. We're potentially going to play them uh, in the round of 16, depending on where we finish in the group. And this is going to be like the kind of opponent we're going to have to overcome at some point if we want to go far at the World Cup. So being able to throw a Claire Hunt in, who I thought was was good against Spain, but she was better against Jamaica, um, having her come up against the likes of, you know, a Lauren James 
or an Ella Toon or, you know, like some absolutely best of the best attacking weapons in the world, that'll be the sort of sink or swim moment I feel like that could determine it. And hopefully Alana Kennedy is sort of back in the picture at, the, at that point as well so that if there is a, some kind of disaster, we can throw on a Kennedy who does have a little bit more experience playing against those kinds of players in the WSL over in England as well. So, yeah, I'm just like the same, same vibes as Charlie Grant. I'm just like, how, how nice is it to talk about the fact that we've got someone who we can turn to and, and it's, not, it's not Ivy Lewick anymore. Oh, my God. I just want to say, yeah, the clunt. Anyway, um, that's the front of the pod. <laughs> special I think we should popularize oh my god (laughs) Thomas Timothy Bell sorry I didn't mean to dox him um can we legally say that on this bus what Timothy Bell or yeah, the clunt. I think. <laughs> yeah. I, I like that you asked, can we say his full name? <laughs> like, that's the issue. <laughs> oh, shit. Um, oh, God, give me one second. <laughs> um, um, okay, yeah, no, I'm back. I'm back. I'm good. And I'm back. Um, <laughs> for me... Um, I think obviously she has earned, she has proven that she absolutely deserves to be called up for the England game. How she goes against England, that's going to be really fun and really interesting and I hope it goes well for her because that means that we've absolutely found someone at the level who absolutely should be going to the World Cup. Um, For me, the question about like, oh, has Hunt replaced Kennedy as a starter? It's the same question as like the Ellie charlie debate in that it's the wrong question to be asking it's not an either or like i know lineups are technically either or you can only pick one but it it you know you guys were talking about reframing re chids as a starter for me this is the the framing is all wrong it doesn't have to be okay well now this is number one and that's the only choice the the story here is we have choices we have a variety of players that can be called upon called upon and I genuinely sincerely hope that if she is called up for um the April window and I hope she's healthy and continues to play well for the Wanderers and I really hope she does well against England and whoever else is in that uh April window like we have choice baby we've never had choice baby I if you want me to reopen the old 2019 center back wounds I will but I'm not gonna because we've been talking for 51 minutes and we don't need to do that right now. But the this conversation is about choice, not about who who's overtaken who necessarily. That's not that's not the story here, baby. Um, I think that also answers Kieran's question about who was the most impressive of the dub players. Uh, I think it was Claire Hunt, just because of like where she started versus where she finished this window. Where a chids, I feel like we knew she was yeah. good. She was playing well in the dub she played well for the Tillies. Like, to me, it was, like, yeah, obvious, where Claire Hunt was the one that actually had some level of didn't have any expectations of her and have now come away with, I sincerely hope 
I'm sincerely impressed and I really, really hope that we see more of her. Um, yeah, totally. Uh, but I feel like we, we need to give a little bit of a shout out in that conversation to Courtney Vine as well. I think this was absolutely a, a series that showed that Courtney Vine deserves to be in the 23. That goal that she scored against Spain was maybe the best goal of her career. Um, it was amazing. And to have done it against an opponent like that, to have done it in the way that she did it as well, which was her way, that that's what really excites me. And like Courtney Vine now being, I know we'll, like, we'll come back to Claire Hart in a second. I know that Angela, you've got some thoughts and onions, but just to be on the Vine train, um, she, her, her inclusion in the Matildas and particularly in the kind of formation that Tony was wanting to play means that Caitlin Ford no longer has to be the left winger. And that's really important because Caitlin Ford, as we've seen over the course of this series as well, is much more potent when she's central. When she's able to combine with Kerr, she's so much better in front of goal. She's able to use what her um, what she's best at, which is her dribbling and her ability to run at players one-on-one, whereas she doesn't necessarily have that kind of speed that the Matildas need on either wing in order to really maximise the players in the centre of the park. So having a Vine and having a Rasso on either wing is amazing. And we saw against Spain that like everything, and against Jamaica as well for that first half, like it was Vine who was largely the outlet for a lot of the sort of the, the direct transitional plays. And she was able to get behind almost every single defender who she played against. She is like, she's electrically fast. She's unbelievable. And she's now got like flying on confidence as well. So coming into the England game. I am so excited to see how she goes, particularly given she told me when I interviewed her a couple of weeks ago that she'd had a couple of clubs in the WSL reach out and were really keen to sign us. So this could be sort of like this England series potentially could be the breakout series for Courtney Vine and she might be able to to swing a WSL spot off, off the back of it. So yeah, it's going to be awesome. But anyway, sorry, back to Claire Hunt. Angela. Oh, I, I just had answers for the questions which is yes to april unsure about 23 i'm also like we need to protect her because like we weren't expecting this i don't think she was expecting this and this kind of sharp trajectory um does create pressure um and i suppose yeah so how she does in the april window will hopefully reflect how she's able to work with that um but at the same time I'm like let's just like give her a little bit of spice I don't know you know um and I was gonna say as well she so if she is called up for the April window she'd be traveling so I guess there's also that kind of small element of it a lot of the series were traveling to Australia for this series whereas it will be inverted for a couple heading the other way so seeing if she can back up in that kind of physiological sense I guess I don't know yeah then that that will be interesting but um if she's not called up for the April window I that's when I think we riot but um anyway (laughs) and the other great thing on the on the hunt thing on the hunt question is that she's only 23 you know and like we we've had polking horn polk this is going to be polk's last world cup it's going to be Ivy Lewick's last World Cup. Alana Kennedy probably only has two more World Cups in her. Claire Hunt is probably going to be next in line when Polk's retires. And how nice is it to know that that's okay? 
that, you know, Polkinghorn is not going to have to play until she's 500 years old because we don't have any other option. <laughs> We've actually got someone who's coming through the ranks who is able to, to, to step in and be the next Polkinghorn, which is, yeah, it's just, it's lovely. Just having a little chuckle at the, the mental image of ancient Polks with her walker, just <laughs> still positioning herself well to cut out attacks. It's a, a warm, fuzzy thought. Um, but then people being like, oh, she's just, there's, she just doesn't have the speed anymore. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry, Claire. I'm genuinely sorry. Um, but I think to just wrap things up, um, we we had a question from friend of the pod, Sophie Lawson, also about what beverage tastes best when drunk out of the cup of nations. And Sam, you were saying that uh, you wouldn't get a lot of drink, allegedly. No, no. Spoiler alert. Sorry, everyone. But the cup of nations isn't actually a cup. Um, they put, I went and when I looked at the, um, on the inside, because this was my first question as well. I was like, how many A beers or B bottles of champagne can you fit into this huge thing? Because that's what we want to be doing. It's a cup, right? Like it's the, the clue is in the name, but it's more of probably a shot glass because, uh, they, they've, they've inserted like a piece of metal right near the top of the, of the lip of the cup. So you can't actually put anything in it. Like the, the, the best that you could do is probably two shots of vodka, which, you know, the, the chilies could, you know, go for your life. That's, that's totally fine. Um, but yeah, what, what would be the, the best beverage? Yeah. It's, it's unfortunate that it's not going to be very much of it. It's just about how potent it is because it's not the size of the thing that matters. It's how you use it. Am I right? Ladies? Yes. Thank you. Oh my god. <laughs> what has this pod um, descended into? Oh sorry, Mickey Mouse. <laughs> sorry, Mickey. Um, what was going Oh, also, there were some naysayers about the fact that we made up a tournament and we won the tournament and celebrated winning the tournament that we made up. Yeah. <laughs> but I would just like to point out that it's very fun and this is not the first time that this has happened and there seems to be an ongoing thing with a lot of these, like, friendly tournaments, like, friendly international tournaments that happen that they just, like, everyone just kind of knows that that is what is happening but we're all in on the joke. Like... The Arnold Clark has become a massive meme. Yeah. Sheba as well. I don't know if the, <laughs> the Yanks are in on that, but we're all laughing about the Sheba. Um, <laughs> so I just like, I, I love it. It's And it's like something really nice to look forward to as well. Like in the content, it's not just like a, a few friendlies. It's like, oh, it's like an occasion. Um, I'd be interested to see if it's like done again as well because um mm. we, did we hit that the tournament of nations that was another one that we kind of made up yep. but then I, I don't know what happened don't know what happened to her um but yeah the cuppa i feel back. like wait where was the tournament of nations that was here yeah no that was the u.s that was when we beat the u.s for the what? first time what am, what's the one that we like that was that the cup of nations but before the cup of nations is ah, the one we made yeah. up so we the, oh. the first cup of nations happened in 2019 
It was there the, okay. it was the launch yes. of the tournament here. It was against New Zealand, Argentina, and South Korea, and we won that. And then COVID was like, you know what? No, not anymore. So it was on pause for a couple of years, and this is the return of it. Okay, so my apologies. The, they had very similar names. Tournament of countries or whatever. I've forgotten in the space of 30 <laughs> seconds what it's called and the Cup of Nations. Anyway, the memification of these cups, I'm all here for it. Unsurprising. We love the cuppa. We love the cuppa. Um, literally, I've had to fight the urge to write Cup of Nations spelt exactly how I said it in all of my ESPN articles, but um, I've persevered. I've gotten over that very challenging time and I have called it by its proper name. Um, <laughs> anyway, that is us done for the Cup of Nations. We have produced three pods, one after every game. I think we've answered all of your questions. Um, we've had a great time talking to you about the Cuppa and obviously we cannot wait for that April window, that game against the Lionesses. We will have plenty more chat and previews once we get closer to that. Um, instead, we'll be refocusing our attention back on the dub. We've got the Pride round, Pride celebration coming up this weekend, which we absolutely cannot wait for. So still plenty of women's football chat coming from us. You just got to check out ESPN.com.au and the ESPN app as well as Spotify, Apple, Google and all of the usual pod spots for that stuff. If you are liking what we're doing, you can always subscribe and leave a review saying nice things if you want to. If you want to have a chat to us, we are at the Far Post Pod on all social media. But until next time, see ya! Oh, 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 oh.